Hello everybody and welcome to the Words Over Whiskey podcast episode 9. I am your host Henry and joining me as usual is Tom. Hello. Hello. How are you Tom? I'm excellent. Thank you Henry. How are you? I'm good thank you. It's been quite a while since we've done one of these. It's been a bit of a hiatus for us hasn't it? It has. It does seem like it's been a long time. Um, I think uh, we've got lots to talk about. Yes. So uh, I think our last episode which I have to admit it took me a little time to edit and eventually put out was the Last of Us 2 spoiler discussion episode. So yes, Uh, it's been... That was a really fun episode to make, actually. Yeah, when I was editing it not too long ago, I was like, ah, I really enjoyed this discussion. But uh, yeah, so it's been been a little while since we've actually got together and uh, been able to do another episode. Um, When you say get together... We're still um, keeping to our socially distanced, and when I say distanced, I mean really distanced chats, because you're at home, <laughs> so and, yeah, I'm, so and I'm at home as well. So since it's been a while since our last episode, we thought we're going to try and change up uh, episodes slightly, per some suggestions from some of our listeners. So we've been told that we often focus too much on the book that only one of us has read. Yeah, so one of us will monologue for too long on a book rather than having a discussion yes so what we've done is over the past couple of months we've read quite a few similar books but the same books we've we've taken it in turns to recommend each other books that we both read yeah that sums it up perfectly pretty much (laughs) uh so yes we will be discussing a few different books that we have been reading recently so before we get on to that though the we need the main ingredient. We need, we the, need whiskey the whiskey. Tom. Do you like to in- introduce this one, or should I? As it was one I recommended it's to you. What you recommended, so you do the honours, Henry. Okay, so uh, this is a Scotch. It's a Ben Bracken. This I re- recommended two of these to you actually. You did. Indeed. Uh, there's the. I've got the other bottle here actually. So let me. Just oh, I finished mine. Oh, you finished yours. <laughs> so yeah. So there's a. I think I got this for Christmas maybe a year ago, one of these bottles, and it, it won a few awards, and I can tell you that they were well justified, because <laughs> the bottle went down very nicely. Anyway, so, um, uh, the red one, that one, the Speyside one, they went yes, down very so there's well. Yes, the so sp- there's the Speyside Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, which is, I think has won quite a few awards. That's... Yeah, that's the one I told you to try before the podcast because that was my, that was kind of my my way to try and convince you to get this other bottle as well to try with me, wasn't it? That's right, that's right. So I, I'm I'm expecting big things from this bottle, Henry. So what what did you think of the um the Speyside one? First of all, you quite liked it, didn't you? I did. So I I said it was on par with Tullamore, which one of is our one favorites. of our favorites. I would, I, to be fair, I I, I agree it is the Scots answer to Tullamore. I will, I will happily say that it's just a bit harder to obtain than Tottenham. No, that's because you're you're lazy and you can't be bothered to walk ten minutes down the shop to get it. Yes, but I could have Tottenham delivered to my front door. <laughs> <laughs> so much easier. Anyway, also, so the what? Also, yeah. I did have, as you might remember, difficulties in obtaining this bottle. The one I'm holding here, and don't read into this, anyone, but the one I'm holding here still has the security tag on it. Can't believe you you paid for it. Everything. Didn't didn't you say the alarm still went off after yeah. you paid for it? Yeah, and I, I just assumed oh they didn't take the security tag off. They, they, they can't have a security tag because it's, it's in like its um container in its box. Yeah, Wait, in its so box. you 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 didn't you didn't check to see uh, that 
And I thought it'd be a bit rude if I just walk into the little head, walk straight to the whiskey, start opening the boxes. I thought it'd be a bit uh, disrespectful. But I, I mean, when the alarm went off, you didn't like check in the lids or anything. Oh, no, I didn't even think it was me. I was just oh. like, ah, they're broken. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Anyway, so the one we are actually reviewing today is the Ben Bracken, and this is the Highland Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, which has also won an award. So I haven't tried this one yet. I've been I waiting haven't. to try it with you. I have to so, wait for you as well, very, very eagerly. Pati- patiently. Right, shall we give it an open and a try? Yep. Yours made a much better open sound than mine. I can, I can hear it sloshing into your glass. <laughs> so that's right. why I do it right next to the uh, mic. Right, right next to the mic. Should we give a, uh, a sniff smell? test? That was nice. That does smell like a good scotch. Kind of um, smells quite sweet, sort of uh, almondy, sort of kind of yeah. bit like a like um, is it like fruit cake or something? Oh, like it's like it's like kind of a bit like Christmas cake with the marzipan on. That's. Oh, I bet you're really hoping that I agree. Because if I don't agree, then you know one of the uh, symptoms of COVID is a change of taste or smell. <laughs> <laughs> so if I say, well, I don't know what you're talking about, Henry. I can, I smell something completely different. Then one of us is, you know, infected. Well, it's it's not that it smells completely different. It's that you can't smell. Ah, true. Are, are you just getting hints of whiskey, or can you? Uh, yeah, yeah. To be fair, I'm, I'm pretty not... sure that's what you say every time. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, whiskey. Not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go down to the master pan level depths of what I can smell. My, in, in terms of my five senses, my nose is not the strongest at all. <laughs> all right, all we... my hearing, all my eyesight. That's true. All right, taste test then. Right, yes, let's do it. That's much more developed than the other one. Oh, so yeah, nutty almondy. I would I say this is more smoky than the last one, than, than mm, the other the, one. The, the other one, I, I'd say, is slightly more sweeter. And smoother. Like, um, I would say that's sweeter. I'd say this is very smooth as well. Yeah, the other one I would say is s- sweet and sort of fruity, because the, uh, the other one, the red the red bottle, uh, always reminds me of, like it kind of tastes almost like raisins have been dipped in the whiskey. Whereas this yeah. one, yeah, it's slightly, I wouldn't say smoky, because it's not nothing like the really peaty, yeah. peaty ones we've had before, but yeah, it's nice. But let's have a have a look at the back of the bottle here then, see if we got anything right. So noble and dignified, with warm, rich aromas of creme brulee, glazed oh, okay. orange segments, honey dipped in brioche, and marzipan. Oh. Marzipan, you said marzipan. Um, An unforgettable, unforgettable taste, taste of coffee. Of co- yeah, I could taste a little bit of coffee in that, and chocolate, dark oh, bitter. I can get the bitter, the slight bitterness. Yeah. Cherries. Morello cherries. Pecan, and pecan pie. pie. Complete with Highland masterpiece. I wouldn't really associate <laughs> any of those things with Scotland. <laughs> ah, but it's whiskey, isn't it? But well, very true. I can see this bottle going down very well, if I'm honest. Then by, uh, after we finish the podcast, I might just continue. There might not be anything left of it tomorrow. Oh, I like that. I, li- I, I, I like both of them. I think I maybe prefer the other bottle the red one no yeah, I, I i prefer this blue one i oh, prefer really? the blue one mm. the other one i, I guess this one's good because I've, I've had to wait to have this and to, to savor it whereas the other one i'm just like oh i can just drink this whenever i want so i drank <laughs> maybe a little too quickly um but no i, I like this one cause it's more complex and it's it's, anyway. it's more dignified because it costs like an extra two pounds or something <laughs> what of the 17 <laughs> yeah <pounds> it- <laughs> Cost it two pounds extra or something like that. So I'm like, ah, oh, it's more dignified. Anyway, shall we move on to the books? Yes, let's let's move on. Sh- shall we 
go on to the one where neither of us really knew what to expect. Yes. If, if, if we're thinking of what of what I'm thinking. Well, I was going to say the Book of Five Rings. Oh, good. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> okay, so Nothing this is... Chicken wings, so, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the first book that we uh, both read was one that I'd heard mentioned before. I think it's... Um, I've, I'd, it'd been in other reading lists from other books that I'd heard of. Or have read, rather. So, it's the, the Book of Five Rings. It's by Miyamoto Musashi. And I, I read you the probably trans- mispronounced that brutally. Not that either of us have any idea how to mis- pronounce it properly. And it, uh, my version was translated by William Scott Wilson. And I got a cheap version for my Kindle. Well, I, I think someone actually, someone else had told me about this book as well. And the way they kind of sold it to me was, oh, it's a, it's a book on samurai philosophy. So, which is okay. What I thought it was going in, and I think it's what I. I told you, I said, oh, mm. I'd really quite like to read this. It's, it's a book on samurai philosophy. And I mean, that in a pe- way, that... your friend was right. Yes. Arguably. In a way. And that's kind of what I took away from this book, that it was in part what I was expecting and then also wasn't. <laughs> so, to clarify, it's not, it's not a storybook. It's not basically... It's non-fiction. It's the teachings of this 16th century samurai. Something like that. Yeah, 1600s, I think it was. A samurai from then who wrote down his teachings to his future or, or, or to his students so that they could then continue the samurai way in how he sort of practised his samurai way, I guess. Swordsmanship, um, was it, mostly? It mostly yes, mostly he was a sword. I, Go on. Uh, but yeah, that's the thing. I was kind of expecting it to be like on the samurai philosophy, like Bushido and, like and the, Bushido and like the warrior code and everything like that. But as you said, it was very to do with being a swordsman. It was a lot of discussion on his his type of sword technique, strategy, and, and uh, way, different ways you can win and different ways of using the sword to fight. Yeah, and it was it was strange. It was a point you picked out i think in a previous conversation of ours in that he would often start talking about something like ah you should get to know your enemy and you should you should study different weapons and understand them and and he'd sort of begin to talk about those and then then say something like what was it you must investigate this further and then just you must research this further or something yeah yes so it was ah yes look into this look into that and then go and do your own research. Uh, and to be fair, if you were actually trying to learn how to fight, then or learn anything actually, doing your own research is helpful. But if you just mm. want to read about mm. samurai philosophy, <laughs> I came here to research that. I don't want to have to go and research that somewhere else. Yeah, it's like um, when I was at uh, university, often you'd, uh, when you were doing research, you'd for like a paper or something, you'd, you'd you'd read one paper and you might find like a, a piece of text from it or something where they've referenced something from another paper and then you'd have to go off and look at that other paper to get more information on a certain aspect of something so it kind of reminded me a bit like that but yeah so it, it is a it is an actual teaching technique but yes we're not we're not swordsmanship pupils no so i think like one of the techniques he was talking about if you if you cut off your opponent's hands 
then <laughs> they can't really fight you anymore. Which is true. He's not wrong. Yes. Yeah. It's <laughs> it is it's just, it is just slightly different from I guess what I was expecting. It is very much to do with him trying to impart how certain, to fight. Yeah, he, how he's to teaching fight you and how to fight. He's not teaching you how to think like a samurai or dress like a samurai or act like a samurai. He's teaching you how to kill people the way he does. Yeah. Or Which is not kill them, not always kill them, but beat them. Yeah. If you don't kill them. He actually says in the book, if you don't, if you don't want to kill them, you should at least crush them utterly so they never fight you again. Mm. <laughs> Such as cutting off their hands. I'm just like, oh, okay, <laughs> lovely man. Yeah. So I kind of didn't almost, in a way, know what to expect going. Like I said, I said, like I said, I thought, oh, it'll be samurai philosophy, but I don't really know what that entails. And then it's I, I could see my there were certain bits of it I picked out and like there were like philosophical elements to certain chapters or certain passages. I thought, oh, I can. That's quite interesting. I might have to come back to that and re reread that. But then the bits like where it is like, yes, if you cut off the hands of your enemy, uh, then they or aim for their or use this particular strike or anything. I'm like, that doesn't really apply to me. But I guess if you delve into it, you could uh, sort of like... If you substitute like the sword and the uh, jewels and everything for like the office, for instance, um, mm. like how, how are you going to build, uh, climb the career ladder? If you employ these techniques there, then actually yeah. it might be quite useful. Sort of in the same way that um, uh, the art of war is like a compulsory read for executives uh, or, mm. and CEOs. Um this book of the five rings might be very useful as well but it is very um ruthless like I think, actually i, I think don't want my boss reading it <laughs> but that yeah I, exactly like what you're saying there like you can take some of the stuff he says in here but if you change it to your situation and adapt i, th I think there's a bit where he talks about striking first like being the first yep. one to land a blow which i could you could apply to the business world if you're the first one to pitch an idea you make the first move i, f I found it interesting there's sort of parts i marked out in it that i'd go back and reread but it was in a sense it was different from what i kind of expected but were you a little really bit disappointed that it wasn't a book about philosophy in the way you imagined i don't know yeah i guess maybe i thought it like you said i thought it was more to, it was going to be to do with their sort of code and honor and sort of like maybe like a bunch of short passages of i don't know stuff he'd learned from his life in as a samurai i guess in some ways it was like that but at the same time i don't know it's really hard to explain <laughs> what did you think of it i read the whole thing in about a day it's very short so my experience with it was very limited maybe um, and I thought some of the techniques were really interesting and others of them were really obvious. Like there's one technique he talks about, which is, oh, if you enter a fight or a duel and you keep thinking, oh, he's a master swordsman, he's a master swordsman, I'm never going to win. Then of course you're not going to win because you've got the hmm. wrong mentality. I'm sort of like, yeah, it's, 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 is... it's, stuff, it's stuff like that. Those, those, some of those certain snippets that I found, oh yeah, that's understandable and that's relatable to other aspects of life true but i think everyone knows that one <laughs> i think some of them are actually quite obvious by now i i, I 
Well, you would have hoped we would have learnt in about 500, 400 years since you would, Yeah, maybe you would, maybe you would. But you know, no, I think it is a very, they use, some of them are useful life lessons. Some mm. of them are like, for instance, how to correctly hold a katana. It's interesting, but not very useful at the moment. Not very applicable at the moment. Although I know someone who knows someone who teaches people how to wield katanas for a living. So, there you go. You Maybe can become a master useful. swordsman, Tom. Now that you've read this book, you can march in there and be like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, bro. All right, motherfuckers. I know, I know what I'm doing. All of you get out. <laughs> anyway, do you have any more to say on? I just wanted to say how I really liked how instead of calling people who use swords, swordsmen or swordswomen, he calls them strategists. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I like how it's not about, oh, they can use a sword. It's they employ strategies when they use a sword. Because he says anyone can pick up a sword and use a sword, but only a strategist can use it the way that he's describing. Yeah, I guess samurai were master strategists in the way that they used the sword, that they trained with it so well. Mm. They knew every technique and manner in which to use it. Yeah. yeah, I think if, I'd say, if you're maybe interested in like samurai or anything, it's, it, like Tom said, it's not a long book, it's only about 150 pages. I think yeah you read it in a day i think i read it in two and like i said there are i think it's still on my shelf so i think there are certain passages and bits i would go back and reread yeah it was just different from what i was expecting but I still good nonetheless yeah going from books that are still good to books that i didn't think were very good but, but i thought were amazing we are talking about the court of air next and who can you remember who it's by it's I by think. stephen hunt who is, um, I believe, well known in the fantasy community for editing very a lot of magazines and anthologies and that sort of thing. Me personally, I usually see a book through to the end. There are certain books that I will like more than others. There are. Whiskey top up. <laughs> there are some books I absolutely love and I'll go through, and others maybe I'll t take a bit more time with. They might be a bit heavier to read, or I might not enjoy them as much, but. I can count on one hand the number of books I have given up on. And The Court of Air is on that list. I so, really <laughs> did not like this book. <laughs> okay, so a bit of background. Henry, you come to me asking about um, steampunk recommendations. And mm. I'd heard about this book online. But I'd not read it myself. So I bought it and gave it to you as a present. It's just going to throw that in there before you start slabbering this book. <laughs> um, it did cost you 70p. Okay, but still. And then you started reading it, and I was ashamed that you didn't like it. So I, so I started reading it, and I loved it. Uh, but I can see why it can be a bit of an acquired taste. So the describing of and the um, showcasing, if you like, of the world and the characters and the races and the world building in general it just doesn't stop every single page practically something new is shown to the reader yeah but it's it's not in a good way like most books like if you'd be excited to learn new stuff but this this book it's so it follows two different characters a boy and a girl and oliver and they, molly Oliver and Molly, and they live in this steampunk fantasy world, and there seems to be one thing after the others introduced. There's, 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 uh, there's 
flying steam ships and then there's this magical mist and then there are there, there's a king who has no hands and then there are no soldiers arms. with no arms uh, and then there are magical soldiers who uh, uh, were given um, their power by this mist but you might die if you spend too long in the mist and then Oliver spent five years in the mist and he doesn't have powers or he doesn't think he has powers and then his uncle's back home and his uncle's murdered and then he's on the run with someone and then there's this okay, girl Molly okay, okay so maybe let's just point out spoilers <sighs> spoilers here and then yeah and then there's this girl Molly and then she's being attacked by someone who's trying to kill her and then there's a crab person <laughs> there's a freaking crab person <laughs> okay Henry that's one way of describing the book of the, the book Let me, this is my way of describing the book Okay, who wouldn't want to read a book where a gay communist bodybuilder has a hand-to-hand duel with a crab person? I'm guessing this was after where I gave Long up. Long after when you gave up. Um, okay. I, this book... Oh, and then, then, then there's steam... There's peop- there's robot people who have steam their own men, religion yes. and everything. Okay, and... Henry, Henry, calm down. Calm down. Brandon Sanderson, an author I respect, often talks about a learning curve with fantasy books. When, when, when you read a fantasy book, where before you get to grips with the magic system, if it's got one, with the, how different the world is from the one you live in, etc. Until you get used to that and you find some sort of stability, that's, a, that's the learning curve. And some books, it's quite easy. A book we're going to talk about later, Aeronauts Windless, that's got a very easy learning curve. Whereas this book, Course of the Air, has a very, very steep incline, if that makes sense. I'm, I'm used to these steep inclines. Anyone who's read Malazan Book of the Fallen knows exactly what I'm talking about. They are, it, it sometimes gets very hard to come to grips with it if it's presented in this way. With it, by it, I mean the book. And I, I think that's where you struggled. The, the learning curve it's, was too steep for you. It's not, it's not the learning curve. It's that I'm not learning about <laughs> all this crap. It's, it's just thing after thing after thing is being thrown at you as the reader. I'm like, okay, there's, wait, there's, uh, there's magic and then there's, there's, there's underground communist community. That's there's, true. there's an, like you said, there's a female Indiana Jones bodybuilder. And oh yeah. There's, there's this, there's magic. There's one of the characters is hearing voices and there's who, mm-hmm. and this voice is from someone who's locked up on, underground in a dungeon it's just so much is thrown at you and like with the like going back to the crab person it's this character is introduced and earlier on in the book but uh, at an orphanage and we just think she's like a normal girl and then suddenly it, later on it's describing her with like this shell and pincers and i'm like wait hang on this character was a crab person why is there a crab person then so i, I think because i i um, lent this book to someone else a third party and on the one hand he agrees with you henry it's not presented particularly well even though stephen hunt is uh, a very is a skilled author and it's well written it's not always presented in an easily digestible manner though he agrees with that at the same time he really likes how trippy and wacky the whole thing is and he's enjoying it yeah i i, I could see it as a potentially interesting world if I'd had time to get to to know bits of it better. Like if stuff had been explained a bit more, explored more in the story before the next thing's thrown at me. It's like I'm just getting my head around this crab person and then there's a talking robot and then this talking robot has a religion and everything 
and then there's a robot king and the and the, there's something to do with uh yeah i too yeah, much I, for you you were overwhelmed it, yeah it, yeah i was overwhelmed and i didn't understand any of it and i got i got halfway through and i was just like well it was a struggle to get here right so i really can't be bothered with it <laughs> my metaphors are often terrible but hear me out so some books are like a, a nice easy small sandwich and some books are like a massive baguette and i just i'm just a massive pig and i will just eat anything that's put in front of me whereas henry i think this baguette was a bit too big for you is that quite a good metaphor I, I'm, I'm i'm proud of that you anyone can use that i think for me it was like a overloaded sandwich and you had bits falling everywhere i love those kinds of sandwiches it didn't feel like it didn't feel stable enough to me it didn't feel like it built the groundworks for me to be able to understand this world oh, and then actually, i can delve I, a bit more I, I into do, the... i do see what you mean there was so much things popping out of nowhere um yes a, a complaint i often have about the marvel universe not the cinematic universe but like the actual universe in the comics the fact that everything from literal satan to aliens could all pop up at any moment to actual fucking dinosaurs could all pop up at the same time and fight to each other if they wanted to it's so random that i do get a bit annoyed and i and i can see if you'd say the same about the course of the air yeah i don't i think it was trying to throw too many things in there without having built the stable groundwork for me to get invested in the characters and the world and I think then the be best eager way I to explore more it. of it. The best way I could describe it is, um, it's like it's been written by a child who just included in this book every single thing he thinks is cool and try to throw it all in there at once. Yeah. I mean, so you would not have liked reading it further. There were ninjas later on in the book. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was literally about to say to you, like, I gave up halfway through. What, what was the rest of it like? So Napoleonic soldiers turn up. Ninjas oh, show up. Um, what else shows up? Demons, uh, giant bugs. I can I can safely say, yeah. No, I'm glad I gave up on that book. <laughs> would would bit... you re- would you read any more of the series? Cause it's yeah, part of the yeah, series. I would happily read more. I've got loads of books to read at the moment, but I would I I would happily read more. And to prove it to you, I will go on Amazon right now and buy the book two if that's what it takes. No, so... read read some of your other books first. Jeez, but. That's that's quite interesting because the the problems I had with that perfectly lead on to why I liked the next book we're going to talk about, which is you've already mentioned the Aeronauts Windlass by yeah. J- Jim Butcher, who is one of one your of my favorite, favorite authors. Hundred percent. If you've listened to any of our previous episodes, we've mentioned the Dresden Files, the Harry Dresden novels. Um, it's the same author as who wrote those and as we were saying with court of air that i didn't feel like it had established a good enough groundworks and then built upon concepts there i think that's what aeronauts windlass did so well for me 100 percent. i must admit it was so well crafted that book yeah and the reason why we're comparing this book to court of the air is that it's another sort of steampunk novel it's uh, jim butcher's first entry into a new series isn't it a steampunk series absolutely although personally i would have liked to have compared aeronauts winners to retribution falls by chris wooding because i think they're more similar i i do agree um comparing these two 
uh, steampunk books because they are very different. Although there's only two main characters really in Course of the Air, and there's more in Aeronauts when this, you see them and get to get a feel for them so much more. They seem more alive. Yeah, they they kind of build these characters up together in a way. Like uh, a few of them sort of are trained together. They get to know each other, and then they're introduced to these other characters, and they fight alongside them and work together. Whereas with the two characters from Aeronauts Windless, I barely get to know them before uh, they're thrust into adventure. You got the names of the books the wrong way around, but uh, that's okay. Yeah, sorry. That's the whiskey talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really liked the Aer- Aer- Aeronauts Windless. It's, it's, it's very it, hard to say. It's a very Aeronauts, hard name to say. Can we just say Aeronauts AW? With, it, can we just say or, AW? Yeah, or, or we'll just call it Aeronauts. Or um, Cinder Spires. Cinder Spires. The, that's, that's, that's the that, name of the series. That's the only yeah. one in the series that's out. Cinder Spires. Is the, is the second one in production or... I don't know. We won't know until after Battlegrounds. Well, I, I was going to say, because it came out like 2015, didn't it? So it has been quite a while. Yeah. Because so yeah, been focusing the... on Dresden Files and Codex Alera in the meantime. Because the well, because the Dresden Files are so popular, aren't they? And they're so good. Also, Codex Alera is pretty amazing. You should definitely give that a read, Henry. I think you've mentioned that quite a few times. In you can borrow the first podcasts. book. I've got it here at the flat now, so you can borrow the first book whenever you're around again. Ah, thanks. But yeah, what I really liked about Aeronauts was that it would it would introduce uh, a concept to you, and you'd be like, "Oh, what's that?" And then it would go on to sort of not not overly explain it to you but so that you'd begin to understand it mm. like um it's like with the the airships they have this sort of this force field called a shroud which when in the in the first few pages it gets mentioned it's like what's, what's a shroud am i missing something and then a few pages later it would explain or you'd begin to understand what it was it, and so it's like a force field that is generated by the crystals that allow the airships to fly, uh, to fly. And then also the instead of guns in this universe, they have like uh, firing crystals or something like that. Yeah, they have like uh, metal gauntlets which have a crystal in them, which basically shoot like a laser. Like a I when I like the way I imagined it in my head was like Iron Man, where the way he yeah. shoots his his lasers. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. That's pretty good. So yeah, they they introduced these different concepts you're like oh that's of course it's a fantasy element but they they he uh jim butcher explains it in a very understandable and visual way at the same time so you can personally visualize it i didn't think there was anything anything in that book that didn't need to be there Mm. there was nothing there was nothing like was thrown in because the author thought it was cool everything in that book had a purpose in the story in the narrative i think that's what makes the difference even like the there are there are a couple of strange uh, characters in it who was like at first I didn't particularly like I was like oh what's this it's some weird I think what are they called they're called like etherealists, etherealists. Or something. oh I thought they were great I love them yeah that's like, the thing oh. at first I I didn't particularly like them but as the story went on they grew on me because the the premise of this book is that humans live in these uh, spires in, in these yeah these really tall structures called spires because. The surface of the world is covered in mist and there are monsters in the mist and no one lives on the surface and and humans live in these gigantic structures where they're basically like cities 
basically on spires. top of them, aren't they? Yeah, on, on top of these spires. Uh, I, th- I think they're in the spires, but near nearer the top. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think it says in the book um, there are levels throughout the entirety of the spire that are habitable, but only the top layers are habited. Mm. Because the creatures from the surface can get in, so the further down the spire you are, the greater the risk of being attacked by a surface creature. And so, yeah, there's various different spi- spires, but they don't all cooperate together. There's uh, the, uh, some of them might go to war with each other using like their their air ship navies and everything, whereas others act as like trade hubs and or like. Um, others loan out mercenaries and others are like hubs for pirates and everything like that mm-hmm. this it's really interesting like he alludes to all the these different spires where different sort of like human groups um live even though it is the first book is focused around this one particular spire albion isn't it spire albion yeah yeah which is sort of like the english type spire because of their over reliance on tea <laughs> i think I didn't catch that. Didn't you? I didn't. You didn't no. catch. You didn't catch the scene where um, Captain Grimm so is speaking to himself that because that um, he had that regardless of how Spartan um, his cabin is on his airship, he always has uh, the most up to date um, tea producing facilities because he is a loyal Albion loyal citizen of Spire Albion. That tea making facilities are the most important thing for him. More important than his bunk, more important than his sea chest, more important than like, like his weapons. He needs to be able to make that tea. Yeah, good point. Now that you say, now that you say it, now you say it, you remember, can't you? Yeah, I was gonna say this is and this is from someone who loves tea as well. I can't believe I missed that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the um, the main antagonists they're from Spire Aurora. Uh, Aurora, that's it. And now you've um, said that like. Spire Albion reminds you of uh, like Britain. I think Aurora reminds me kind of like Spain or something. Well, yeah, well, yeah, because their um, air fleet, if you like, is called the Armada. They yeah. all have Spanish names. Like, there's one called Diego. There's one yeah. called Esperanza. They're definitely Spanish. Well, yeah. meant to be more like Spain. Mm. I but yeah, it's really. I just I, I think. The good thing about it is, like I said, it's set off this solid foundation of you. You of it begins to explain the world. You begin to get a feel of it. <clears throat> It'll de- delve into new concepts. Mm-hmm. It will develop characters well. There's really good action sequences. Definitely. Yeah, I just think it was <laughs> a lot better developed than. Can I just say the cats? The cats in this book are fully sentient and can communicate with humans, like can talk to humans, and their characters are so good. But it, but in their own language, they're not like just like talking cats. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, I got confused. Good point. Yeah, they do have, but they can communicate and they can sort of talk to humans if the human can speak their own language. Yeah, you're right. But still, they are exactly what you would imagine cats to be like. I'm I'm just imagining Nyan Cat now going meow 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 meow, <laughs> and then just Bring a human, food, like, human. Squat, just like a, a a human squatting next to them, just going meow 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 meow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, do not try and talk to your cat at home. Yeah, I'd highly recommend Aeronauts Windlass. It's it was really enjoyable, really 
interesting introduction into a fantasy world. If it's if you like steampunk sort of adventure novels, highly recommend it. I also highly um, recommend Court of the Air for anyone who likes steampunk adventure no, novels. No, no. But yes, Aeronauts Windless, I will admit, although I loved Court of the Air, Aeronauts Windless was better was a better book by far. Uh we could go so much more into detail if we were gonna go into spoilers and all the characters and everything, but seeing as it's like a six hundred page book we could be here a while but Oh yeah. yeah. I highly recommend it and yeah I think it had a much more solid foundation and better world building than Court of the Air which will shall ever be confined to the list of books that I gave up which I, I, I think I could still name them I think it was one of them was a Andy McNabb book I think it was like Nick Stone or something he wrote a series all to do with this ex-SAS soldier turned spy. I just kind of got bored of it. The the Lemony Snicket series, mm-hmm. I gave up. I think I read about eight of them, and then I was like, oh, wait, there's like another five, six, seven of these. And at this point, I was like, but hang on, they're all just the same book, just slightly different. Well, in Lemony Snicket's defence, if, if you've got a winning formula for a book, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, Dan Brown, the guy who wrote The Da Vinci Code. But they're literally the same book. They just change the premise and then the villain turns up. The children say to everyone, look, here's the villain. The people say, no, he's not the villain. The villain does something bad. And then the and then the children are like, the children foil his plan. And everyone's like, oh no, what happened? Guess we got to move you to somewhere else now. And then the villain comes after them again. Yeah, uh, yeah right. so it's, a, it's the same formula every time. Dan Brown, who wrote The Vinci Code, does the same thing. The, he uses the same formula. Pretty admit, much. I've never read read book. any Dan Brown. Have you seen the films at least? I've seen the first one. Tom Hanks, isn't it? Yeah, Tom Hanks film. It's I enjoyed roughly it. Roughly the same formula. I think they. I haven't read any of his books, but I'm told by a critic that they are basically the same across all the different books, in a mm. in a sense. Although he was quite harsh, I think. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, I think uh, what was it? Yeah, so those two. I think life. I think Life of Pi. I think it was not like you gave up on that i never read it i think i i was on holiday at the time i think i'd started reading it i think it was just after the film had come out although i haven't seen the film but it all started with when he was a kid and he was he was trying out every single different type of religion and i just i think bored of it <laughs> granted i was on holiday so i was doing other stuff that interested me more but um yeah i never really felt like going back to it maybe i will do one day and then yeah and then court of air yeah it, that's my that is the list of books i've given up on court of air was too good to give up on no i completely disagree i just yeah, <laughs> we've seen my opinions on that book. <laughs> yes, uh, we, don't, we, we don't need another rod, Henry. Anyway, what else has been happening? So, should we move on to a bit of gaming news? Yeah. Change it up yeah. from the books? So, yes, let's do that. Seeing as it's been a bit of a while since our last episode, because we did the whole a whole episode dedicated to the PS5 showcase and the Xbox Series X games showcase, where they were showcasing all the games. And since since then, they've now announced when each console will be coming out, as well as the price points for them. So, 
me and you are both PlayStation players, aren't we, Tom? Yes. You said that very aggressively. We are. We play PlayStation, don't we, Tom? <laughs> yeah, I didn't quite mean it like that. So yes, the PlayStation Five and the X- new Xbox mm-hmm. are both coming out soon, and they've finally released the release date for them. So the Xbox will be coming out first, I believe. Yes. Yeah, so it's coming November tenth or tenth of November, and that is the. So there are two models. There's the Xbox Series X, which is the slightly larger, slightly more powerful version and also includes a disk drive. Right. And then there's the Xbox Series S, which is the smaller digital only version. There's no there's no disk drive on the S series. On the S, no. Oh, it's, I wasn't sm- aware it's, of that. It's it's about half the size of the Series X. But it's it's digital only. So if you're getting the next generation of Xbox and you do want yours with a disc drive, you will have to get the Series X. I I, I would find that annoying. If I was an Xbox player, I would be very offended by that. Well, I've seen recently on Twitter with the because of the naming conventions of the Xboxes because they had the the Xbox One and they had the Xbox Three Sixty One X or something. Something was it? What was it? So people have been trying to order this new Xbox, but they've then accidentally <laughs> been ordering the old one. Because, like, you can imagine, like, parents trying to buy the console for their kid to pre-order yeah. it for Christmas. They've been ordering the wrong one because the names are so confusing. That's hilarious. Oh, uh, Xbox, oh dear. <laughs> so yeah, so the UK price for the xbox series x is 449 pounds 99 so 450 pounds and the xbox series s is 249.99 wait 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 wait. you pay an extra 200 200 pounds for a disk drive and slightly more processing power yeah that's ridiculous but but i think this is this is their marketing strategy is to try and get people to buy because they'll make more on digital sales <clears throat> yeah no I, I i do see that but at the same time didn't i hear that all that the um ex, the next gen xbox console will be able to have backwards compatibility uh, um so you can play 360 games and xbox one games on on, on on your next gen console i don't know about that give me a sec research that for me because if that's true i presume to avoid having to buy the games again you'd have to get the one with a disc drive to play them this means you're paying an extra 200 pounds for the privilege of playing the games that you already own on your new console so it seems to suggest here that microsoft has announced that like all other xbox consoles the xbox series s will have some form of backwards compatibility oh so not necessarily all games no, I think that's the same with the the PlayStation person. PlayStation Five. So the PlayStation Five, on the other hand, is coming out a few days later. So I think in the US and I think it's US, Australia, New Zealand, and Japan. But don't quote me on that. I think it's coming out on the twelfth of November, so a couple of days after the Xbox. But then the rest of the world is coming out on the nineteenth of November. Funnily enough, same day as Cyberpunk's release, but 
so yeah there's about a week's difference in the release of them so the playstation 5 as well will have a two different versions it will have the disc version which is 449.99 so 450 pounds and then the one without the disc drive digital edition is 359.99 so yeah so the xbox about is much cheaper the xbox is like 50 quid cheaper Mm, no, two hundred, no, hundred quid cheaper. Ooh. So, so the the Xbox, the the smaller Xbox, is a hundred pounds cheaper. But I don't know if they're quite as powerful. So previously, the Xbox One and the PS4 were they roughly about the same in terms of everything? Mm. It was down to preference. Whereas now it's genuinely going to be strategic based on your playing style, what you get. Am I right in saying that? I think it's, well, again, it comes down to another topic we're going to move on to in a minute, is the games you want. Well, that's very true. For me, I'm a big fan of Horizon, God of War, the new Spider-Man games they've started doing on PlayStation, so I will opt for a PlayStation, because there are games on there I want, like the Uncharted games. Well, that's the reason I got a PS4, was because I knew they were going to do another Uncharted game, there's a likelihood they might do another Last of Us, which they did. Mm-hmm. That's the same with the PlayStation Five. Is that I know there will be games on there I want, whereas I'm not. I've I've never owned an Xbox. I've only ever played like Halo or anything around friends' houses. I'm not really into the big Xbox titles. Halo and Gears of War are about the only ones I can really name off the top of my head. And I can play those on my PC as well now. That's very so, yeah. true. I think I will, yeah, I will be opting for the PlayStation 5. I think I'll be getting the disc version because I quite like having discs. So I think I would probably get the non-disc version because it doesn't bother really? me when I'm like, right, I'm going to play this game. Oh, I've got to get up. I've got to put the disc in. You really dislike minor inconveniences, don't you? Like, oh, man, yes. i got to walk to the shops. Oh, man, i got to put a disc in the thing. Yes. Oh, man. Well, when we started this it. podcast, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to get up and close the door so no noise distracts me or impacts the audio. <laughs> yeah, minor inconvenience. First world problems. Nah, that's the thing. I always like having the, the disc. It's like with my, I guess it's like with physical books. I like having them on my bookshelf. And it's the same. I've got my di- uh, my games on my bookshelf. It's kind of a collection in a way. Just by that sort of messy <laughs> look into the trying to quickly research the price points <laughs> of... Uh, everything so that's a bit of an update there for you if you're interested in either console if not this will have not interested you at all mm. <laughs> if you're a pc master race type person you've probably turned us off by now or if you have inter- no interest in gaming <laughs> at all. well um, also true then leading on from what i was saying about the games do you want to lead on to what the big news is with one of your favorite gaming companies Okay, so up until relatively recently, I have been a massive Bethesda fanboy. I have loved the Elder Scrolls series and the Fallout series and the Dishonored series, actually, because I've never found games that have had this much lore, this much world building and story building. So I think that's a staple of a lot of Bethesda games. Maybe not Dishonored so much, but definitely Fallout and Elder Scrolls. Dishonored has a huge amount of... Huge well, amount of lore, yeah. But yeah. in the in the Fallout and Elder Scrolls, your character drives a lot of the story, especially in games like Skyrim, where there isn't actually that much story. The main story is a bit crap. But your character and the way you play them, 
and maybe a little bit of role playing inside your own head actually yeah as the player defines actually defines a lot of the game and i, I really like that so i've always been a big fan of bethesda I, I do admit they have completely fucked themselves over in the past you know very recent past but the news you were referring to henry is of course the fact that they have been bought by microsoft so uh, bethesda studios who uh, are a publisher to a lot of other companies like id software and arcane studios and their their parent company zenimax um have both been bought by xbox for, for the record they were bought by microsoft for more money in fact almost twice as much money i've asserted this earlier than star wars was bought by disney yes yeah, so so disney wars, bought star wars for four billion four billion and um Bethesda was bought by Microsoft for seven and a half billion. 7.5 billion. So yeah. almost twice as much. And for a big Elder Scrolls fan, I'm like, ha, I want to see an Elder Scrolls film now. That presents the question, will Xbox be the exclusive hub for Bethesda games now? Or will, will they, will they make be Bethesda games exclusive for Xbox and PC? Well, if yeah. they do, I'm not going to be too concerned because I have a PC as well. That will be powerful enough to run uh, a Bethesda game on um, if, it, if it's going to be a Microsoft only type game so I'm not too concerned but I was talking to someone recently and they, they said that um, PS4s outsold Xboxes by about two thirds there were two thirds more PS4s sold than Xboxes don't quote me on that that's someone else's figures not mine but if the PS5 and Xbox something series whatever sell roughly the same then if they make Bethesda games exclusive to Xbox and PC, they actually cut out, you know, a third or two thirds or whatever of their audience and would lose that much money. There's yeah. no actual incentive. Because, I mean, Bethesda games are great, but because the company has had this sudden loss of reputation lately, no one's going to go out and buy an Xbox or a new PC just for these games. So I, I do think they would lose money if they made them exclusive. The in interesting thing is that um, two games that were coming from Bethesda, Deathloop and Tokyo Wire, were actually slated as PS5, PS4 exclusives. And they're still going to be PS4 they're, they're exclusives. They're still going to be. Oh, and Microsoft is going to honour that. And Microsoft yeah. will honour that. And they will be PS4 exclusives. I think they were exclusives or they were timed exclusives. I can't quite remember off the top of my head. But, yeah, I... like you like you just said i can't see them sp specifically for like big titles like elder any of the elder scrolls titles or fallout i can't see them saying ah oh, this is just going to be xbox exclusive or you you can get it on pc via the microsoft store i think that would be they'd be shooting themselves in the foot there 100%. they wouldn't they then wouldn't benefit from so many players because some people they, they, they can only afford to get one console and they might not have a computer that's powerful enough to run these games but chances like, are oh. the Bethesda games are one of the games they would really want yeah and then yeah they'd be shooting themselves in the foot to not offer these games to PlayStation but I strongly think there will be exclusive DLCs expansion packs etc oh I think they Xbox. might they will they might well be like exclusive for xbox content well it's like uh with the recent avengers game that 
Spider-Man was exclusive to PlayStation. You could only play levels with Spider-Man in if you had a PlayStation. Yeah. Which I think caused a bit of an uproar. But, yeah, I think they will still make these games available to PlayStation users. They might, they make, might make them a timed exclusive, potentially, or they might lock certain content behind it. What I could see happening, potentially, is maybe with some of the other some of the studios that came under the sort of Bethesda umbrella is like Obsidian Microsoft, yeah is that if Microsoft, they still count yeah yeah they do um, okay. is that well yeah because you've got Ar- like I said Arcane Studio you've got Obsidian okay got... but the, I'm, I'm a little bit confused if Obsidian still is under the Bethesda sort of umbrella why did they slag off Bethesda oh, so much wait, in the no, trailer no, 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 for Outer Worlds Sorry, no, my bad. Obsidian isn't. I was going to say, I don't. I didn't Obsi- think it was. No, Obsi- Obsidian. So I remember is... the Outer Worlds trailer. Obsidian like had plastered across the screen the original creators of Fallout New Vegas, as if saying, "Hello, we made arguably the best Fallout game, not Bethesda." Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I love that so much. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah, so Bethesda. Let me just have a look at their studios. Uh, so yeah, you've got Bethesda, you've got Zenimax Online, you've got id Software, Arcane, Machine Games, and Tango Tango Gameworks. Yeah, so yeah, Obsidian were were working separately, and I think they they're connected to Microsoft. So now that they're Bethesda and Obsidian are under the umbrella of Microsoft, one of your favourite games is potentially going to get a sequel. New Vegas Two, please. <laughs> Please, yep. And just please don't fuck it up either. <laughs> but yeah, my my concern, potential concern with this deal is that Microsoft may then use one of these studios under Bethesda to make an Xbox exclusive game, or Ooh. or they'll set up their own exclusive studio using people from these companies. Oh, that's very true. I think that that could potentially happen as a means to try and get people to convert to Xbox or that would convert me. It. Actually, that might be enough to convert me. Actually, mm. no, I've already got a PC. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I can get what I want. I'll just get whatever the well, Microsoft. They might. They PC. might. They might not necessarily put it on PC straight away. <gasps> Goddamn console wars! I can't we just have one console that all has all games? <laughs> I think. Again, this was another thing I oh, saw. Oh yeah, on PC masters people right now will be going PC Tom. PC does that. Well, it's 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 because of the confusion with like the different variations of the PlayStation and Xbox. People have been messaging, I think, like certain gamers and stuff I follow on Twitter. They posted like screenshots of people asking them like, so so you work with computers, yeah? Which one should I be getting? And then someone said, um, it's like um, I work at I think someone in the US said, oh, I work at Target and this mother came in and asked what, uh, I'm trying to get a console for my son which one plays all the games and he's just like <laughs> uh, well you got your because <laughs> you got your Playstation you got your Xbox you got your Switch, it's not simple is it? No. But yeah, no. I it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the future with cause yeah it's, it's such a massive deal 7.5 billion dollars 
That's a lot. So just imagine, right, when um, Bethesda, when Bethesda was first founded. Let's say you, you saw this company, you were like, oh, I like that Todd Howard guy, and you and you buy a few shares. And now, however many years later it is, you get a notification on your phone. Good news, you've got a percentage share of seven billion. You're like, oh, what? Now, yep. I, I don't know. I mean, and let me just work out. Let's say you have a one percent share of Bethesda. Seven point five, and that's what nine zeros. Seven point five billion. You would get seventy-five million pounds. Uh, is that right? Yeah, seventy-five million. You get notification. Good news. This is yours. I like that quick maths, Tom. Yeah, I use a calculator actually. <laughs> uh, I, I was I was seeing the recording going and then just waiting, 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 waiting. waiting. <laughs> oi, oi, shut up, shut up. Okay, there's a lot of risky and it's some very big numbers. <laughs> yeah, but imagine that you're minding your own business. You bought obviously your shares have made you a lot of money by now from Bethesda's successes, and then maybe lost you some money from Bethesda's recent dumbasses decisions. And then you should get a notification. Good news. Here you go. Seven seventy-five million. I I don't know how that works actually with shareholders, but how great is that? Mm. What would you do with seventy-five million pounds, Henry, if you had that? Probably buy a house, invest. Henry, you could start your own game studio with seventy-five million. Probably, yeah. You could start your own game studio and your own movie studio. Probably. Just because you could just literally pay to have a blockbuster film made about your life if you wanted. No one will want to see it. Nothing interesting has happened. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you don't need to make a profit. You've got 75 million. <laughs> oh, dear. But yeah, I think it'll be, uh, it'll certainly be interesting to see what happens in the future with uh, Bethesda now under the Xbox and Microsoft umbrella. So- I hope. I hope everything goes okay, and they don't just EA the fuck out of Bethesda. No one particularly likes EA at the moment. No, they do not. No. So, so what are you? What book are you either currently reading or planning to read next, Tom? As we sort of begin to wrap up this episode. As we begin to wrap up, I'm currently reading Angel Mage by Garth Nix. Garth Nix is one of my favourite authors from my childhood. He wrote mm. series like Sabriel, Liriel. Um, he wrote Keys to the Kingdom. Thank you, Henry. Yeah, which is one of my favourite series of all time, just for how different it is from anything else I've ever read. So I picked, I, 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 um, I got Angel Mage for my birthday actually, and I was so excited to read it, and it, it, it has actually gripped me. It's been brilliant. Has it? Yep. I have oh, I've good. almost finished. It has been. I will get some negatives out of the way now. It's been a little slow, and after all the fantastic settings that he's designed in his previous books I think Garth Nix could have done a bit better with the setting in this book which is basically if you swap the names around a bit you know historical France but apart from that it has been a pretty amazing book so far hmm. that's good so I think well, you were you told me about it uh, the other day uh, briefly and you said it's you're enjoying it but you weren't you were a bit worried it was a bit slow in but it's, it's good to hear this kind of picked up a bit and you're enjoying it more now. Yeah, I mean, I still stand by my statement. It's it's great. It's not his best, though. Mm. What Do about you, you, Henry? What are you reading at the moment? So recently, like quite a few books that I've been reading, they've been bringing up stoic 
philosophy and I've been I've been finding trends in a lot of in quite a few books that I've read recently like something's mentioned in one and then I'll see it in another book and I'm like hang on I know that thing I read it in another book recently and I get and it's really interesting and so so I've started to get interested in stoic philosophy and trying to find out more of what it is and uh, one of the books I I, I, it's actually an audiobook called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday and at the end of it he says that one of his favourite books is by a, one of the Stoics, Marcus Aurelius and it's called Meditations and so, and he said he, he read it and it, it basically changed his life so I thought, oh that, that sounds interesting I read um, a few snippets when you left your coffee unattended the other day and yes. um, I can I can see what he means. Like even the few random bits that I read were very motivational. Like uh, Marcus Aurelius will be talking about how he draws happiness from witnessing the simple beauty of nature, for instance, mm. and says how you should just stop and take the time to enjoy that uh, in your life rather than rush around the place. And I can definitely see and understand that, but at the same time, it does seem very. Um, pretentious. Marcus Aurelius obviously was a Roman emperor and although I'm sure they faced their share of hardships, it's much easier for an emperor to stop what he's doing and go and look at an olive garden for instance, than it is for someone who's actually got to work for their living. Well that's that's the interesting thing in the in the obstacle is the way he, uh, Ryan Holiday talks about Marcus Aurelius and actually all the hardships that he had to go through. He was at war through much of his reign he had to he faced bankruptcy so he had to sell many of his personal possessions to finance the empire and keep the empire going he faced a military coup when one of his um, allies actually rebelled against him and he also faced a plague so that would teach me to open my big mouth won't it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so it's one I've seen mentioned in a few books and i'd heard of marcus aurelius before but i didn't really know of him and so yeah i i i'm still learning about him because at the start of the book it's uh this so this one's is meditations and it is translated by gregory hayes which is the one ryan holiday recommended but it 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 starts with an introduction of to of who marcus aurelius is and who the stoics were so i'm just i'm only at the beginning of it so I haven't actually got onto the parts where he's talking about it, where it is his meditations, his writings, his thoughts on the world and everything. So I'm looking forward to it, to see if it does change my life as it did for Ryan Holiday. But I guess I will see and I will let everyone know if it is the next best thing they should read. Personally, yeah. I like a good uh, fiction book myself, but... <laughs> well... Maybe I'll maybe I'll try and co- maybe I'll try and convince you to read it if with a bribe of whiskey or cider maybe. Well, that would definitely work. I can't lie, that would definitely <laughs> work. Anyway, I think we'll begin to wrap up there. And going back to something that we did in our very first episode, and we actually have not done since, although we said we would, was to try and include a quote at the end of an episode. And Tom. I believe recently you found a quote that you said we should insert at the end of the episode. So would you like to read it? Please? I would love to, Henry. So this, the, the quote is, Too much of anything is bad. 
but too much good whiskey is barely enough. And that's a quote by Mark Twain, which I fully agree with, actually. Mm, I like that quote. That's definitely a good quote. <laughs> I, I like it. It's just, it's, there's no like hidden meaning. It's just 100%. Yeah. Just, just enjoy good whiskey. Enjoy good whiskey. It's just honesty, really. Honesty. Yeah. Well, I think with that message of enjoy good whiskey, we will end the episode here. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank cheers, you, Tom. Thank you for putting up with everything. Thank you. Cheers, Henry. Oh, cheers, my mic. Like that. Don't know if you heard it, but that was the cheers. <laughs> definitely <you>. did. Ah, okay. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed, please follow the podcast. Leave us a rating. Uh, podcast is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Hope you enjoy, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you very much.